The scripture reading today comes from Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 to 25. Please follow along in your Bible or up here on the projection screen. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept took one of his ribs and closed it up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Pray with me. Father, we come before you, before your holy word. And we come as people who believe that the word is powerful, that the word can change our lives. And so we come with that eager expectations that the word will transform our hearts and that it will transform it in a way that we will experience your great love and your great mercy and that we will ultimately worship you. I pray that you would be with me, Lord, that I may speak your truths and not my own. I pray, Lord, that the people would receive these words and that they would accept them, not as words from me, but words that come from you. And together, Father, be with us so that we may be able to worship you. Lord, we want this word to transform us so that we can glorify you. We thank you, O God, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you who are with us for the first time today, my name is Pastor Jeffrey. Uh, pastor David is the senior pastor here, but he is on a much-needed vacation with his family, and um, so I'm here preaching today. Also, if um, you haven't been with us, we are going through this series um, on Genesis. We are going through the first 11 chapters of Genesis, and we're just exploring these foundational teachings and we're hoping that these foundational teachings will teach us how to read the Bible, how to think about Jesus, how to think about a church. And so what are we to learn? What are we to understand from the book of Genesis? Here in our quote, I put down the Westminster Shorter Catechism, number three. And I had put this before, but it's still relevant now. What do scriptures principally teach? And we ask this question because Genesis chapter 1 and 2 really set the foundation of what the Bible teaches. And so when we ask what does Genesis chapter 1 and 2 teach, we're really asking what does the Bible teach? And what we find is that the Bible teaches two main things. It teaches one, who God is and what we are to believe concerning God. And second, it is what duty God requires of man. 
And so here in chapter 1, we saw who God is. We saw how amazing and wonderful and majestic He is. And in chapter 2, we begin to explore more what is required of man, what duty is required of man. 2 is really explaining what we see in chapters 1, verse 28. Let me just read for you, read for you those verses real quick. It says, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. These are the duties that God requires of man. And when I say man, I don't mean only man. I mean the whole human race. So what does God expect from humans? It's found in these two commandments, and we're going to explore them together. And what we find out is what we see in these verses is God's master plan for all of humanity. This was his great plan for the whole human race, that they would know God and that they would engage in these activities. And so we're going to explore those activities and see what we can learn as Christians and non-Christians from this very word of God. The one thing, so first... The one thing we learn is that God calls us to work. Genesis chapter 2 verse 15 says this, The Lord God took Adam and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. We should not be surprised that God had desired all of humanity to work. When I was growing up as a Christian, I understood that work was an effect of the fall that we only have jobs because we were sinners. But in reality, God had always intended man to work, to have some sort of job. Because God is a worker. We see it laid out for us in Genesis chapter 1. God does not grab a pina colada and just chill for six days. What he does is he gets to work. He gets to work. He creates. He builds. He begins to engage in these activities, and he begins to judge it. And here, in the same way, God makes man in his image, and he says, man, you must work. Adam, work the garden. And what kind of job is Adam required to do? First, Adam was a farmer. He was to cultivate the garden, make sure that the garden was clean, it was proper, that it was producing organic fruit and vegetables. And he was sub supposed to subdue creation so that he could feed his family. But that is not the only work that Adam did. What other work did God call Adam to do? Adam was also called to be a scientist in the best sense of the word. If we look at verse 19, it says this, Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. God brought forth all of his creation to Adam, and Adam was to study, to observe, to look, and find the essential truths in these creatures, in all of creation. He was supposed to marvel at the glorious wonders of God and try to explain them, not just to him, but as we see, to his partner. Adam was a scientist to observe the world and look and to report to all everybody 
what he was going to do. And so what we see in this real, in this first scene of Adam is that man was always destined to work, and that work is a good thing. And surprisingly enough, what we also find is that work is a part of our identity. I know it's one thing to say that we are not defined by our jobs, and that's true. I am more than just a pastor. You are more than just a blacksmith, a banker, a financier, a, a, a gardener. You, you are more than those things, but we need to consider that you are those things too. It's not unimportant. It's actually very important. The job you do is important, and we should regard it in such. What we should learn from this one foundational act is that jobs and work is important. It is not a necessary evil to ensure that you can live your actual life. Having a job is part of life, and we should thank God, and we should praise God for having a job. Now, of course, this is all before the fall, so we can talk about jobs after the fall, which is a whole other story. But here, in the initial blueprint, man was always able to work and should work, and it was a good thing. And one practical thing we can garner from this is that early retirement is a sham. It's not a real goal in life. It's not. I'm sorry. Our goal is to maybe work forever. Now, when I say work, I don't mean a job that you hate and you get paid for. It means cultivating. It means engaging in God's creation in some certain way you are working exploring the wonders of God, maybe cultivating your garden, something that engages you in this created world. And so we need to think about work as a part of our identity. We are not defined by one job, but we are defined by work and, and what we do. I know we have a lot of parents who stay at home with their children and just want to encourage you all that that is work. It is actually the most essential work. I can't think of any other work where you're actually subduing creation. You are helping these people grow and work from the chaos from which they have come. But I also encourage parents that it is your job, it is your work, but it will not last forever. There is a timetable on that as well. And soon that they will just be your children in which you have a relationship with, but you will have to search for work after. Again, this does not mean you have to have a paid job or anything like that, but work is part of our identity, and that's all I really want us to get from that, that part of being human is working. And so that brings in another application. Work is a human right. And we as a people need to really see that work and working standards is a human right that we need to engage with. When someone loses their job or when someone is unemployed, we need to learn how to empathize with them. We need to understand that this is not just them losing some source of money, but it's actually them losing, maybe for a while, their identity for a little bit. And so when we feel that, when we feel that weight is gone or that part of us is gone, we need to empathize and sympathize and we need to understand where that's coming from. Work is a big deal. But again, it does not define us. It is not 
only who we are, as we see the second commandment shows us our other identity. The second commandment is be fruitful and multiply. What does it mean to be fruitful and multiply? It means to procreate, to have babies. In verse 18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. But before I go into that, I just want us to realize that work is not everything. Work is a big part of who we are, but it is not the sole defining thing of who we are. And I feel like I have to emphasize that a little bit more in New York because job, our job and our work takes so much of our time. But here, we cannot neglect maybe the more important of the two parts of our identity. And it is that of community. Now I'm going to show you how we get to community from be fruitful and multiply. When God says in Genesis 2.18, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. This would have been a startling statement to anybody, to everybody reading. Because if you're following Genesis chapter 1, you're going through this rhythm. God is creating. God is working. God is making things. And what happens every time he makes something, what does he say? It's good. Or he deems it good. God makes man. And this is the first time when God makes man, he comes to man. And what does he say? It is not good. It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Here is the first time where God, we don't know what this, is this a mistake? Is this something? Why is God, God is just slowing us down to show that something miraculous is about to happen. He's giving us a pause. He's saying, look, working is important, but here I'm going to show you something that may be even greater than that. And so God looks at Adam and he says, I will make him a helper fit for him. So God knows in his goodness, in his omniscience, that it is not good for man to be alone. So he will make him a helper. And I just want to talk about that word helper just for a little bit. Many times we use that word helper maybe jokingly or maybe truthfully as showing how inferior the next being, come, the next being that is going to be created is. That is the wrong way to look at it. The helper is not really a helper, if you understand the Hebrew word. If you read the Hebrew word, you would understand that this highlights the inadequacy of man. This word highlights how incomplete, how unable this one being is. And how do we know that? Because this word helper is used throughout the Bible all the time. And listen to how it's used. Psalm 30.10. Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. So that word helper is used on God. Psalm 118, verse 7, it says this. The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. So this person or being who God is going to create for Adam is not someone who is just going to be an attachment or an appendix or some inferior being. This person is going to be an essential part of humanity, an equal to Adam. And as this person comes, 
we know that they are going to have a pivotal role in the course of humanity, all of humanity. So God knows that man should not be alone, and so what does God do? In verse 21, it says this, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. What does God do when something, something needs to be done? He puts man to sleep. Anytime we see a man being put to sleep, a deep sleep by God, something big is going to happen, something miraculous. Now, it's not just with Adam, but this is what happened before Abraham, um, before God made a covenant with Abraham. Before Abraham was given the covenant of grace, the, gr- the covenant that we always talk, talk about, what does God do? He puts Abraham in a deep sleep. Jacob, in all his encounters with God, in which he is named Israel and promised all the nations and all the glory of the land, before all that happens, God does what? He puts Jacob to sleep in a deep, deep sleep. So the Lord causes Adam to go in a deep, deep sleep. And this is when we should be expecting, oh man, something is about to happen. And what does happen? Something miraculous does happen. Woman is created. Here, when woman is created, we have before us the only recorded words of Adam before the fall. When he sees the woman, she does not have a name yet, When he sees the woman, he busts out into song. He doesn't just make a statement. He doesn't just say, oh, that's a woman. He says this. He says, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, this verse actually becomes very important because it shows something about the relationship between man and woman. Most people like to emphasize that man named the woman. But what's also often left out is that man actually names himself at this point. It doesn't come out in our translation, but up until now, man is only known as Adam, Adam. And God names Adam, Adam, because he tells him your main relationship is the relationship with the ground, with creation, Adam. That is what the Hebrew word means, ground, Adam. But here when man sees woman, and remember, man's job was to look and see and see the essentials of God's truth. When man sees woman for the very first time, he names the woman Isha, and at the very same time, he names himself Yish. Two names are given. And what we see here is that man's destiny now, his main relationship will be with this woman. That the ground, it does not take precedence over his relationship with this woman. That is what we see, and that is why there is commentary that comes right after in verse 24. It says, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. 
This verse is essential into understanding relationships. Because what we see here is actually quite amazing. Because what happens here is now that these two strangers, this man and this woman, they have the ability to form covenants with each other, and that takes precedence over nature. Let me say that again. This covenant that man and woman make together takes precedence over nature. You see, the creation mandate is you have a mother and you have a father and you have children. There is nothing more special than that bond, creational bond between a father, mother, and their children. But here God is saying, and Adam is doing, and what Adam is doing is saying, no, there will be a relationship that is greater than the creational order. And it is this relationship between man and woman. The bond between two strangers will be stronger than the bond between creation. And that's significant. That is significant because it does also reflect our image of God in which we can now make covenants with other people and that will be stronger than the covenants found in the world. And so this was the plan of God from the beginning, that man would work that they would be fruitful and they would multiply. And so then what would happen? They would begin to build cities. They would populate. Most people don't know this, but the plan was to have children before the fall, before sin even entered the world. And they were going to build a huge and glorious city. And because all these people were sinless and they possessed the image of God, the world was going to be filled with human beings, and thus, therefore, the world would be filled with God's glory. That was always the great plan. But we know something happened. Chapter 3 is the next chapter. And we know that sin enters the world, and we know that corruption comes. So God does not put his plan on halt. Actually, he carries out the creation mandate. We still work but it's not the same. We still try to reproduce and be fruitful and multiply, but it's just not the same. At the same time, when we look around the world, and if you travel, if you have Google, even watch TV, you actually admire the great feats that men and women have accomplished here on earth. It's breathtaking. It is amazing. We live in a city that was built by hands. And it's beautiful, and it's amazing, but we also know in this beautiful created order, we see the ugliness, the dirtiness, the evil that lurks behind. And human history has always been this combination where we see and praise men and women for their works, but also we condemn them for their evil and treacherous acts. And so what is God to do? Does God give up and thwart his plan? Actually, no. What happens is Jesus Christ comes. And when Jesus Christ comes, he changes the game. There is a reason why Jesus is known as the second Adam. It's because he was to usher in a new mandate, a new created order, a new way in which God's glory would fill the earth. But it wasn't going to only be this earth that was going to be filled with God's glory. Heaven was going to have God's glory 
as well too. What happens? Jesus, the second Adam, comes. He comes and he works. And he works to obtain our righteousness. And then he dies for our sins. The only way we will enjoy what Adam and Eve had at this point is that if sin loses its power and it no longer has a strangle on us. And so Jesus dies for our sins. And everyone knows, or every good Jewish person should know, when, when Jesus was crucified on the cross, it was pointing back to creation. You see, when Jesus dies, what is really happening is God is putting Jesus into a deep sleep. He is making Jesus go into deep sleep for three days. Why add that one interesting piece of the soldier stabbing the side of Jesus, but not to point back to this creation order? Here what is happening is the first man, the true man, is going to die. Then he's going to wake up. And what he sees when he resurrects is his beautiful bride, the church. Bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. You are my church. You are my bride. This is the fulfillment of the creation mandate. And this is what Paul begins to realize as well. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31, Paul says this. He says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Paul picked up on it and understood that the union, the great marriage union, was never only going to be between man and woman, but it was going to be between Christ and his church. You see, what happens is when Christ comes, we can leave our first parents, which is Adam and Eve, the ones who sinned. We can leave them and cleave from them, and we can come to Christ as his bride. And we are going to become one flesh. We enter into a place, a sanctuary, where we are naked and no longer ashamed. We come to be known by our great Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. We now no longer reflect God's image, but we reflect the image of Christ. And here what is bestowed upon us is Jesus himself. And we are united to him forever. We are one flesh. And Jesus realizes this, that when he resurrects, he gives an altogether new commandment and new mandate to the whole world. And that's this, Matthew chapter 25, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to him, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That means we are a new created order. We are a new people and we have a new commandment from the living God. And what is it? We still work. But our priority now is the work of the church. And I don't just mean a story of community church. I mean the whole universal church. The great mandate of the Christian is that we do our best to make sure that this city, this garden, is clean. 
that we keep the peace and purity of the church and we work relentlessly to make sure that this city that we live in now is clean. We no longer live in the city of man, but we now live in the city of God, and God requires us to work, work, and work for that very purpose. And what else? There's a second commandment. We are still tasked to be fruitful and multiply, and it's still within the context of marriage. What does that mean? It means we go and find new believers. It means, John chapter 3, that we go out and we make sure that people are born again. That people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. This is now the new mandate for the church. Not that there only be more churches, but there simply that there would be more Christians here in this earth. We are to fill the city of God this way. Now, am I saying work is bad or getting married and procreating is bad? No, I'm not saying that at all. We're still human. We bear the image of God. We should engage in those things. You, you, you have a job you love. You should engage in that. You have a marriage. Be engaged in that. But it no longer has the highest priority. And it no longer will be the means in which God will use to further his kingdom. It will now be through the marriage relationship of the bride, his church. This is why Jesus came and said, I am supposed to, I did not come for peace, but I came to separate families, brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers. This new covenant made will have precedence, will have higher priority than the creational order. And so what I'm saying that is our highest priority here on earth is this. That we love Jesus Christ and that we follow him. This means that the greatest cultural or highest achievement of the human life is not what we do in our workplace or in our marriages or in how we parent. The highest goal and greatest accomplish, accomplishment in anyone's life is being loved by Jesus Christ. Because now you are the new creation. Brothers and sisters, tend the garden. Keep the church pure. Keep the church strong. Our highest calling in this life and the life to come will be the church. Brothers and sisters, we need to be fruitful and multiply. That means not just this church, but every church needs to go out and proclaim the news of Jesus so that we can have new Christians come in and fill the great city of our King. ACC, we have to realize now what covenant that we are in. We are in a marriage relationship with Jesus Christ. We have left Adam and Eve. We have left the sin. We have left the world. They no longer have dominance or priority over us. But now we cling on to Christ. And we love him. And we move towards the city of God that is still yet to come. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. Lord, oftentimes we are blinded by this world. And Lord, understandably so, Lord, this world is so beautiful. You've created such a magnificent thing. And, and we praise you that we, 
we get to engage in it. But oftentimes, we get so blinded by the beauty that we, we forget to see the true, beautiful person, Jesus Christ. And so what I pray for ACC is, is that we would realize what we have in Christ. And that relationship will continue to grow. Feed us, O oh Lord, so that we grow into your image, that we can grow and be fruitful and multiply and that people would come into your kingdom so that your glory would be bestowed. We thank you, O oh God, for all that you do and that you continue to do. Be with us as we move forward. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.